1: the podcast in which we talk about topics that help churches and ministries protect what God has called them to lead. I'm your host, Marielle, and on today's episode, we will be talking about the six ways churches and ministries can lose 501c3 status with Chastin Asbury, phase two specialist at Start Church. Chastin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: It's an exciting time when you finally decide to start the dream God has placed in your heart, along with the ministry side of your organization. You'll also want to make sure you are doing everything you can to protect your ministry from a legal standpoint. Once you've officially become a 501c3 organization, there are a few key things that you should know. In order to remain in compliance with IRS statutes. So today we are going to discuss the six main ways a church or ministry can lose 501c3 status. And so let's get started. First, Chasten, will you give us an overview of the topics that we're going to talk about today?
2: Yeah, definitely. So today we're going to talk about. the 501c3 status, how churches and ministries alike can lose that status, and I want to start off by saying that most nonprofit organizations are not really going to have to worry so much about their 501c3 status being at stake or being revoked at the IRS level, as long as you're aware of a couple of key areas of importance. Uh, We're going to go over six. The six areas of importance we're going to be talking about are private benefit, lobbying, political activity, unrelated business income, annual reporting obligations, and then operating in accordance with your stated exempt purpose.
1: Thanks for sharing, Chasten. So let's go ahead and get started with the first topic you mentioned, private benefit or inurement. Can you give us a rundown of this?
2: Definitely. So the activities and finances of a 501c3 organization really should be centered around a charitable purpose. So when we're talking about private benefit and inurement, we're mainly talking about the finances and how that organization is operating from a financial perspective. So if these finances are directed towards benefiting an insider, like someone on the board of directors, for instance, private benefit and or inurement could be occurring. So for example, say I have a church organization and someone on my board of directors has a landscaping business. Well, I might wanna hire that individual to do some landscaping work around the church and that's completely fine for me to do as long as it's done correctly as long as it's done in the right way and that would be you know a board meeting the board of directors are meeting on that we establish an at arm's length agreement basically saying that we as a church organization as a 501c3 we're going to make sure that we pay the individual a fair market value for the work that they're doing so if my church or any other nonprofit organization pays any higher a fair market value, say for instance, for that landscaping work that they would be doing, that would be considered a nearment. because like, that so individual's on the board and they're benefiting from the work and, and us paying them a higher wage than what they would normally get. Another example of this for private benefit would be if my church's website or at our events or church services, if we advertise for the landscaping business or their services, that would also be regarded as private benefit.
1: That totally makes sense. And, you know, this sort of thing sounds like it can easily be overlooked if we're not staying on top of these types of business transactions.
2: Yeah, definitely. And with all this in mind, it's important to note that if a 501c3 organization does engage in private benefit or inurement, it definitely could lose the tax exempt status. And also that individual benefiting could be subject to penalty excise taxes.
1: Yeah, thanks for sharing, Chastin. That's super important to note. And so moving along, um, what's the next area that churches and ministries should be aware of when it comes to this topic?
2: So next, we're going to talk about lobbying. Now, in general, no organization is going to be able to qualify for the 501c3 status if a substantial part of its activities are attempting to influence legislation. So that's, that's what lobbying is. Now, an organization is going to be regarded as trying to influence legislation If it contacts or urges the public to contact any sort of members or employees of a legislative body to propose, support, or oppose any type of legislation, or even if that organization advocates the adoption or rejection of legislation. If more than an insubstantial portion of the organization's activities consist of lobbying, then its 501 status could be in jeopardy of being revoked. Uh, so this actually leads into the next area to be aware of as well, which is political activity. Uh, so nonprofit organizations are prohibited from engaging in political activity as well. Now, this could include campaigning for or against any specific candidate running for political office. This includes campaigns at the federal, state, and even local levels. So an example of this would be: you know, if a pastor of a church or a church they want to invite a candidate to speak at their church, maybe discuss their own personal beliefs. Um, It's fine to do that as long as the church gives an equal opportunity from each political party a platform to share their beliefs. That shouldn't present an issue. Another way this may show up in a church organization is by the pastor sharing his or her political views from the pulpit. So I want to be clear when I say a pastor cannot use the platform of his church or his nonprofit organization, the 501c3 organization, to promote his political views. So if Pastor Bob Smith was doing that from the pulpit, that would be considered uh, political activity. However, Bob Smith, the person, he can have his own, you know, social media or his own events or gatherings at his home where he can talk about political things. He just can't use the platform as the church of the church to promote his political views. That would be considered political activity and thus could jeopardize the church's nonprofit status.
1: Right. And thanks for clarifying that, Chastin. that's very helpful. I'm sure um, as you're explaining this topic, it's bringing a lot of clarity to people who are <laughs> have questions over yeah. what's um, what's acceptable and what's not. So uh, moving forward, what's another area that we should look out for?
2: Now we're going to talk about unrelated business income. So, IRS Publication 598 defines unrelated business income as the income from a trade or a business regularly conducted by an exempt organization and not substantially related to the performance by the organization of its exempt purpose or function. I know that's kind of a complicated definition of that, but basically a couple of examples of unrelated business income would include obviously not limited to, but renting out a debt financed property, uh, maybe operating a coffee shop outside of regular church service times, as well as even the sale of advertisement space to local businesses. The main thing to keep in mind here is that if more than an insubstantial portion of a nonprofit organization's income is coming from unrelated business income, then it's tax exempt status could be in jeopardy of being revoked.
1: Thanks so much for sharing, Chastin. And this is actually a really great moment to bring up another important uh, aspect for your church or ministry. So say that your church does run a coffee shop during normal, you know, church service times, and you want to see that begin to grow. To do this in a legally compliant way, you should consider starting a for-profit arm. And so this is otherwise known as a ministry-owned or a church-owned business. And we have seen this be such a great solution for churches and ministries, because this way you can provide a means for your organization to generate tax-free income so you don't have to solely rely on tithes, offerings, or donations. And so if you want to learn more about this, please give us a call at 877-631-4744, or you can head on over to startchurch.com, and one of our specialists would be so honored to talk with you about your next steps. And so um, Chasten, let's get back to it. Moving along, what's the next item on the list that we should talk about?
2: Yeah, the next area that we're gonna talk about is annual reporting obligations. Now I'm gonna mainly focus on nonprofit ministries here. So church organizations are actually exempt from having to file 990 forms. These are regular tax forms that must be filed each year uh, to the IRS. Typically those are due by May the 15th every year. Um, but more specifically to do on the 15th day of the fifth month that your organization's calendar year is up. So for most people that have a calendar year of January to December, it's going to be May the 15th. Now since your organization is going to be receiving funds from the general public as tax-deductible donations, those funds must be used for charitable purposes. So once organizations have obtained their 501 status by completing the 1023 application, the IRS actually uses these Form 990s to ensure that those organizations are using their finances for charitable purposes. So requesting financial information on Form 990, it actually allows the IRS to determine if your ministry is continually meeting the public support test, if it's remaining organized for the charitable purpose that it was initially created for, as well as if it's operating for the private benefit of individuals within your ministry, like we talked about earlier. Now, I do want to add here that even though all nonprofits have to file 990s and churches are exempt from filing 990 reports, there is a 990 that churches do have to file. And that kind of goes back to our conversation about unrelated business income. So all nonprofits, including churches, must file a specific form 990-T if they have a gross income of $1,000 or more from any unrelated business income. So if your church has filed any sort of 990s in the past, though, I would definitely say give start church a call. There could be some pretty serious implications as to your tax exempt status as a church as you remaining in good standing with the IRS.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, if, if this is something that you need help with, like Chastin said, please give us a call. I just want to give that number one more time. It's 877-631-4744. Because we want to be able to provide you some guidance on how to just follow through with all this information. And so Chastin, just kind of um, diving a little deeper into this topic of Form 990s, are all Form 990s the same?
2: That's a great question. Uh, There's actually five variations of the Form 990 annual information return that we're going to want to mention here. Uh, The first is a 990-N. This is an electronic notice. Organizations with gross receipts of typically $50,000 or less are going to file this type of 990 report and that's a 990-N. Now there's another one for 990-EZ uh, this is for what we would say kind of more medium growth organizations this is for uh, organizations that have gross receipts of more than fifty thousand dollars but less than two hundred thousand uh, dollars in a calendar year and also whose assets are valued at less than five hundred thousand dollars total so all those types of organizations that would file into that category they're going to be required to file the 990-ez and then form 990 uh, that's kind of known as the form 990, the long form. Uh, organizations whose gross receipts on average are greater than $200,000 and also whose assets are valued at $500,000 or more. They're gonna be ref- required to file the uh, 990 long or, or just what it's called the form 990. And there's another type, two other additional types of uh, form 990s, so the form 990-PF. And this is a 990 that all private foundations are required to file. And then, as we mentioned, 990-T. So this is that 990 form for if your organization, whether it's a ministry or a church, has any sort of unrelated business income that's greater than $1,000 or more, you're going to want to have to file 990-T each year. And like we mentioned, typically all organizations are going to have to file these Form 990s by the 15th day of the fifth month of their fiscal year. Um, Like, so January to December, if that's a fiscal year for you guys, and it's going to be May the 15th.
1: Thanks so much for sharing, Chastin, you shared so much valuable information today and we know if you're listening to all this information it's a lot to take in so please contact us if you have any questions we are here to help. Our Start Church team is so honored to be able to serve each one of you and so Chastin, what is the final area that churches and ministries should be aware of when it comes to protecting their 501c3 status?
2: Yeah, the last area I wanna talk about is operating in accordance with your stated exempt purpose. Now, 501 organizations, they're organized and expected to operate under a specific tax exempt purpose. So when the nonprofit, they file that 1023 application to get the 501 status, that application actually explains to the IRS the purpose of which it was formed and the activities that it plans to pursue in order to operate within its stated tax-exempt purpose. If, for any reason, an organization decides to pursue a different tax-exempt purpose from the one that it was initially formed, it must inform the IRS as to that change. Now, I'm not talking so much about adopting additional activities as I am talking about the purpose of the organization as a whole. So an example of this would be if a church organization had the 501c3 status and it was operating as a church, holding regular worship services and then a few years go by and the regular worship services are not so regular anymore. Maybe they're holding maybe just Bible studies once or twice a month, but the church has really actually started to operate more as a ministry, serving their local community. Uh, Then they may want to actually file for a reclassification uh, so reclassify that organization from a church to a nonprofit ministry, uh, or else if it continues to operate as a community development corporation and start church would say, or uh, just a regular ministry, but it keeps that church status, it actually, it actually may risk losing the 501c3 status as a whole.
1: Thank you so much for sharing, Chastin. And we're so thankful that you could join us on the podcast today.
2: Hey, it's been my pleasure. We're here to help you guys out. Um, the whole phase two team, we love talking about nonprofit and church compliance. So uh, we're always here to help you guys out.
1: So Chastin, with all of this in mind, do you have any final thoughts for our audience today?
2: Yeah, you know, I would say one of the more important things that you guys are gonna to want to make sure you're doing as a nonprofit organization, as a church organization, is remaining true to your tax exempt purpose. And intent is really everything. If your intentions are to be a church, then make sure you're operating as a church organization, both as from an activity perspective as well as a financial perspective. And if your intent is to operate as a community development corporation or a mission organization or any order, any other nonprofit ministry industry, uh, make sure that you're continuing to align yourself with your tax-exempt purpose so that your activities as well as your finances are reflecting the fact that you're a charitable organization.
1: Thank you so much for sharing, Chastin, and once again, thank you for joining us on the podcast today.
2: It has been my pleasure, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.
1: Well, we covered a lot of areas to help you protect what God has called you to lead. And we know that handling the administrative side of ministry may be overwhelming at times, especially when all you wanna do is fulfill the calling that God has placed on your life. And that's why our team at Start Church is here to take the burden of administration off your shoulders so that you can fully focus on your ministry-related activities. So whether you are at risk of losing 501c3 status or your status has been revoked, our team at Start Church can help you. So to learn more about how we can help your organization obtain and remain in compliance with the 501c3 status, please give us a call at 877-631-4744 or head on over to startchurch.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Beyond the Call and we look forward to you joining us again next
0: week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Call brought to you by Start Church. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, Please give us a call at 844-641-5718 or visit our website at startchurch.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Start Church, Beyond the Call. Start Church has helped thousands of churches and ministries protect what God has given them to lead. Check out our website at startchurch.com or feel free to call at 844-641-5718. We would be honored to serve you.